Ray Lewis, Pro Football Hall of Famer. I've learned to lead through pain. The retired linebacker spent all of his 17 seasons with the Baltimore Ravens, but it was a difficult road to get there. Maybe what I went through actually saved my life. Lewis credits his passion for football for saving him from the violence that plagued his community back home. Explain the toll that took on you. Almost every time that I was coming home, returning home from college, I was returning to a funeral. And details his 2000 indictment on murder charges for a stabbing in Atlanta, charges that were eventually dropped. The same way you got up and said, without a shadow of a doubt, we can prove that Ray Lewis stabbed and killed two people. Get up and tell the media that you just told me you don't care if I'm guilty or not. You're going to make sure I go to jail for life. Once known as the NFL's most feared hitter, Lewis also takes a stand on the league's hitting rules. Hidden and tackling. That's the game. We sat down with Lewis in his South Florida home in 2010, just two seasons before winning his second and final Super Bowl. All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. I guess the first question would be, what led you to first becoming interested in business? I think a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. <laughs> I tried a lot of early uh, business endeavors with you know different companies different people and I, and I just think you know whether my mind was in it or not at that time I, mean, I was a very young man uh, 23 24 years old when I was kind of first starting my first business adventures and now or now that I'm older and now I've seen so much you know so fast um, business now becomes more exciting I think more so because of the team I have but I just think the thought process on what we're trying to build is what really got me into business. What most excites you about the thought process? My duty, you know, not just being, you know, this successful football player, but also being a man that a lot of people leans on is to, okay, now I have to be more creative to create things that help people, like really help people. So you get a guy that's one, two year in the league, and I come to him and tap him on the shoulder and say, look, I want you to be a part of my group, you know, because if you have something outside of football to focus on, you appreciate football better. And I think that's what my mentality of my whole business model is. You gotta help somebody. How did you decide which areas of business to ultimately get involved in? I, uh, I got with my partner, one of my partners, Mark Rosen, and I said, Mark, you know, I, I just, I'm really thinking about doing something business-wise. And I wanna bring all of these businesses that I have that I'm in contact with and I want to bring them all together so we can all see one common goal. And so, you know, Mark was like, hey, that's a freaking awesome idea. So we emailed every business that we was a part of. And what we said was, we invited every one of them to my house. We sat around my table, everybody, every business sat around my table. I sat at the head and every business has had five minutes or less to explain what they do and their relationship with me. Not just for me, but for the totality so we all can get it. And then at the end of it, I then spoke about my passion, about my vision on where I'm trying to go in life and what is the basic, basic concept of what I'm trying to do. Yeah? And that started to, this, this stayed on, this fell, this stuck, this dropped down. And, 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 and then I met, you know, uh, an incredible business partner of mine who then came the next day through one of those relationships who then the relationship me and him had formed 
he took my mind on everything that we had going business-wise and this and that and said, this is good, that ain't good, let's do this, let's do that, let's, and that's how it happened. How eager do you find you are to learn when it comes to business? I think people get tired of me asking questions because I, I want to know everything, you know, but I, I love to listen. Well, it's similar to football, though. I mean, <laughs> your <laughs> eagerness to learn from what I understand. I, I, I promise you, it really is. And, and now in business, I just sit back, man. I'm like a sponge. I'm like a sponge, and I soak it up, and I soak it up, and I soak it up. And then, of course, uh, with, my, with the way, the kind of the way I live and think, then I put my own twist on it. Because once I got the concept of it, I got it. Uh, how do you tie in what you're doing with the family of companies with the longtime charitable work and the foundation? Well, I think the, um, I think the charitable work is just purely what my heart speaks every day of my life. You know, I just truly believe one day we all have to leave this earth, you know, and there, there's something you have to be left for. You know? And that, for me, anything charitable or helping someone is what I want to be remembered by. And, and that's what I, so when you start with that component of it, then the business aspect just really rose. It's just another form of it, one way or another. You know, you're just really helping people in their situations to now give them jobs. And then they create this opportunity, they create this opportunity. And then it's just a domino effect, you know, to where everybody's helping everybody. But you bring people from places they never thought they'd come from. Oh, lots of people have visions. Lots of people start businesses, including many past former star athletes, very few are able to have success doing so. Why do you think you'll ultimately be able to achieve the goals? The business side of it will be successful if you make those people that you've influenced successful. That's my whole model in a nutshell. Influence someone to make this day a better day. But then even if you have more worries than you think you do, go help somebody else. If I'm ever concerned about failing in the business world or not, I don't think that's ever my concern because of the people that just I'm forming the relationships with just to even discuss business with. That alone, that alone is the next step to where we're trying to go. How would you describe the living conditions you grew up in? I grew up kind of with my mom. Mom had me at a very early age, so me and my mom kind of grew up together. Long story short, you know, I have four of the siblings, three brothers, one, three, three sisters, one baby brother, and, you know, at the age of nine, it was like, be that father figure right now. Like, right now. We need you, I need you to grow up right now. Like, I need you to take your sisters. I need you to make sure their hair done. I need you to drop them off to the bus stop, take your baby sisters to the nursery, take your brother, I'll meet you at the bus stop to pick him up, and then you need to jog three miles just to get to your bus stop. It's every day. So as a kid, you're sitting there saying, ah, is there ever a break? So once again, my push through my childhood was to take all pain that I was dealing through, dealing with, and flat out forget about it through work. Your mother was 15 years old yeah. when she became pregnant with you. Yeah. How painful was it for you at the time with your father never being around growing up? That's, that's, that's definitely one of, one of the deciding factors that's always pushed me to the limit. Why has that pushed you to the limit? Oof. Because I had this anger built inside of me that I was going to prove him wrong. Wrong about what? Oh, that the child you left will one day 
do something great. And I used to have these conversations sitting up under the light with my best friend who's here. And he used to sit there time and time and just listen to me, vent, cry. And I used to always give him these visions that I have seen at a very early age. So when I laid down at night, my prayers, sometimes I was always, why can't my father just knock on the door? <laughs> why can't he help me when I walk away from football practice hurt? What's the next thing for me to learn? So man, I, I, I tell you, I took all of that ah, all the way up. And now, instead of that being the story that was once behind me, I use it as a story that's in front of me. My past and the things I've been, been through drives me every second of my life, every second of my life. Me being the father that I am to my kids is to make sure my kids don't ever have to, ever have to live what I went through because I can't ask every child to survive what I went through. I can't ask a man to go through everything I went through and still be at the top of your game. I can't ask that. And that's why my kids, when they call daddy, they don't, it's not even a hesitation. And even with the push-pull of me working in one city and they live in another city, the first free time I got, y'all coming to see me the first time I'm coming, I'm coming to see you. Yeah. Only because of a memory that I remember having my clothes packed on the curve. A father, that's my best friend right now. But I had that bag packed on the curb and daddy said he was coming. Daddy never showed up. <laughs> and I had to go play a football game. Still with the thought processes of daddy ain't coming. So that's why, man, my, my story and, 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 and how it happened and how things went about, I got to share that because I don't want people I don't want, I listen to so many stories and so many men, and every time we talk, you always hear these stories about these silent cries that no one can hear but them. What would you have most liked to have learned from your father growing up that him not being around prevented you from? I don't think it was about what I could have learned from him more than it was about just for him to be there to take pressure off of me. Right. You know? <laughs> I just wanted to be a kid sometimes, you know? It's the greatest, the most overwhelming feeling that I feel to this day is when any one of my sons and my daughters pick up a phone and say, Daddy, I need that, you know? I wanted that conversation too, you know? Every day wasn't a good day for me growing up. You mentioned you've since reconciled with your father. Mm -hmm. What was the thought process behind making the decision to welcome him into your life? Took me a while to get there, you know, because I had to totally let go all of the past pains that I was carrying for whatever reason he wasn't there, you know? And when I let him go, man, I, 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 I it was like a fresh, a, a fresh breath of air that just came through my body and just was like, it's over. How do you let that go? Yeah, you know what, listening, at the age 33 years old, me and my father spent like I, my first Father's Day ever with him. And 
he asked me to come take a ride with him. And I took a ride with him to meet my grandfather, who I was meeting for the first time as well, which was his father. And we took a ride from one part of North Carolina to another part of North Carolina. And it was a six-hour drive. And I got in the passenger seat. And my father talked for six and a half hours. And I never said a word. I just listened to everything you wanted to tell me. And after he got done, I looked at him as a man. And I said, is that all you need to tell me? He said, son, that's my story. I said, dad, it's over then. Every moment I ever miss with you, it's over. Love me from this point on. Just love me as your son from this point on. And we'll live out whatever time we got left. And I ain't been back since. And it's made me a better father. It's made me better understanding when a child said, Daddy, I need you. They really do need you. While you were away at college, a dozen of your close wow. friends and relatives ended up passing away. Explain the toll that took on you. Almost every time that I was coming home, returning home from college, I was returning to a funeral of somebody else that I had played with, somebody I had lived with, grew up with. And I'm sitting there saying to myself, like, ah, like, uh, like how much is this, you know? And, and, huh. and then after, you know, going through all of that with them, wow. It really just, it just really kept me on the path that I've always stayed on, that it just kept me isolated. And it kept me, it kept me really wanting to chase it. It kept me really wanting to do it. And a lot of, then it started turning turn into doing it for my city, for where I'm from, from Lakeland. I'm like, like all of these great athletes that I saw growing up, I'm like, somebody gotta push on. Like somebody gotta go do something great. Like, like we gotta, like we have enough, you know, wherewithal to, to really go do it. And so I just kept going. I just kept going kept going and and for a long time I used to keep all of their obituaries every one of them I used to keep them and I used to just keep them in this little box and I used to just always take this little box and then the box just started getting so crazy with how many people that was passing and then I um, I ended up losing my roommate which was probably the biggest run-in with losing somebody that I've probably ever had to go through. I still carry him with me. We talked about so much. And now, going back, when I look up in the sky sometimes on game day, I, I call his name so loud. I call a lot, a lot of other people names too, but his name sticks out the most because he believed in me when nobody else didn't. So losing a lot of people the way I did, it motivated me to leave one day a legacy of just helping people one way or another and, and going out with a great name. And I've never been so empty the day I got the phone call and I lost my roommate. 
And, and not only was he your roommate, yeah. he was your college teammate, he yeah. was your close friend, yeah. uh, being Marlon Barnes, and yeah. you learned he was murdered. How close were you two? That was my brother. We was just inseparable. It, 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 was, it was one of those relationships that you knew was meant for a reason. And uh, for me, I just, you know, that, that one, I knew I will see him again and we will smile the day I see him again. But that's one man that I truly miss. I will always miss him. For a while, you apparently felt guilty about his passing. Yeah. Why? I let him convince me that he wasn't going to go out that night. And that's what hurt the most, because we never lied to each other. Never. There was nothing to lie about. And when he told me that he wasn't going out that night to that party, I turned my truck around. Then I wish I would have just kept driving. Because 10 times out of 10, I would have convinced him not to go out. Because that's just where we were at that point in our lives. To where, you know, the streets was getting very dangerous. And so that's, that's the only thing. I, I carry every memory that we ever had, but that, that's really the only thing that if I could have done differently, I would have kept driving to be back, to come back and be with him. To what extent did it feel like for a while at that point, regardless how hard you tried, you were unable to get yourself away from that negativity, even though you had worked essentially your entire life yeah. up to that point to get away from it? And those situations and the rough situations I found myself in, through all of them, I found a way to stop worrying. And I just found a way to keep going, no matter what. And that's my message to not just me, but our world. No matter how bad you may be off, no matter where you may find yourself at, if you got enough breath, you got enough to change your circumstance or at least change the way you think about it. Losing somebody that close, that's the only way I made it. It's changing the way I thought about it. When you were nine years old, eight, nine years old, something like that, you tell your mom one day you're gonna make it so she never has to work again. How much more special did it make the draft given that what you said indeed came true. I achieved the greatest accomplishment I've ever wanted to in my life. Seeing my mom smile that day, you know, knowing that I had told her that at nine and her interest wasn't in sports, you know, she didn't really understand it then. You know, mom never really made it to my games. So I was kind of the only one trying to help her with the vision on what I seen, you know. And so for her to see it then, and so for it to come all the way around, that's when I was okay with saying, Ma, I told you. What was the first purchase you made for her? Yeah, probably at home. How neat was that? Ah, yeah. Mom had worked 
her whole life to try to establish just that, you know, and it's very hard to ask for. So when that opportunity came about, just receive, just giving her that was, was worth, you know, saying, mommy, thank you for all the things that you sacrifice, you know, from us. And for me, from my heart, I knew at that time that was just the beginning on how I wanted to shower her with love. I've been fortunate over the past few days to speak to people that have been close to you during various points of your life. The three qualities almost every single person I spoke to spoke about you having were being very trustworthy, incredibly passionate, and this intense hunger for knowledge. What, and you spoke to it uh, some already, but what do you think most makes you an effective leader? I've learned to lead through pain. How so? Very young age. Very young age, you know, growing up, <clears throat> growing up without a father, you know, and as a man, the things that I share with men now is, you know, the scariest thing that people don't slow down and ever think about is men's silent thoughts. The, those thoughts that they don't share with anyone. You know, at a very young age, I had to keep those thoughts to myself. Couldn't share those thoughts with mom as much as you thought you could because I couldn't make mom understand what as a man I was actually going through. Pain creates a lot of loneliness because a lot of people deal with pains by themselves. And from a childhood that's been breaded and just forget everything else, just work, just keep working. And at the end of the day, what I found out very quickly is the only thing that follows work is results. You may see them sooner or you may see them later, but it's the only thing that follows work is results. And that's what I think pushes me so much as a leader is everything that I've been through is to make sure man don't have to walk through that by themselves. Anybody can, pra can praise all of my accomplishments, but until you know my story, and that's, what, and that's what puts this taste and thirst in my mouth, never to stop. Rod Woodson said the first time that he really saw that leadership quality in you on the field was during a practice when you were able to break down a friendship barrier and essentially chew out a fellow teammate during practice. Why do you think he would say that? It was one you know, day that you know, I just really wanted to to get a point across that being out here, you can't be selfish. Being out here, if it ain't for your other 10 players that's beside you, then we done lost. Like, don't, and if there's anything that rubbed me wrong way, that rubs me the wrong way. Like, don't ever abuse this, not this. You know what I'm saying? Because this right here is that chain, that chain. And if one link on that chain ain't right, then that whole chain gonna fall apart one way or another. And I give, I give my life to anybody and every player on my team will tell you, I give my life for it. But don't ever turn your back on me. Just, just give us everything you got. We can teach you every skill or the, the deep, whatever it is to learn. But effort is free. 
that's free. And then and if you give it for the man that's beside you, then you understand that. I know you might get mad at me, but I'm gonna push you beyond your limits because I believe there's more. The pregame oh. dance coming out of the tunnel. How did oh. that start? Oh my goodness. The pregame dance, simply, I'm telling you, it's just like this. A childhood friend of mine who was in the armed forces, he used to always do this dance, right? But, and the dance was famous in our little hometown, you know, little country, we little country towns, you know? So we, dance, we, we, we named the dance The Squirrel. The Squirrel. You see our country dance? Okay. <laughs> so we named the dance like The Squirrel, you know, the way a squirrel moves, whatever. And, uh, and he used to always do it. And this guy was a retired, you know, a Vietnam vet, and, and you know, he kind of had some complications, you know, after he came back. And, and one day we met years, years ago, and he's always, he, uh, I'm telling you, he's my biggest, like, fan, everything. Like, he has my tattoo, has my number on his shoulder, everything, Kirby Lee. And, you know, Kirby Lee, once I said, like, this is kind of mentally, yeah, whatever but has great sense. <laughs> and I said, guess what? He said, what? I said, I'm gonna do your dance one day. And he said, no, you won't. I said, I'm gonna do your dance one day, I'm telling you. So this one, they just you know, started introducing the defense one day, and this is how this animal actually got started. So they, they started introducing the defense, and as they introducing the defense, I came out last one time. And when I came out last, I said, I'm gonna do it. And then I did it. And from that moment on, it was like, okay, you gotta do that every game. <laughs> you know? and, then, and then it kinda, you know, like, okay, then we started breaking up offense defense. And then the city got hold to it. And then when the city got hold to it, the stadium, then that's like everybody's thing. You ever incorporate any dance moves from the Hardy Boys uh, dance group? He told you all that too. <laughs> he let out a lot of information. <laughs> oh my goodness, he let out a lot of information. Yeah, but that's all. That's where all my dance moves come from. Anquan Bolden is messing with me right now. Really? Actually, about this, about uh, he's offered me every amount of money to buy seeing what I danced like when I was 13 <laughs> Really? Oh, so you have footage of it? Oh, absolutely we have footage that we will never let go. But those moves, those moves, all those dancing moves, man, we danced for hours. Like, he was so strict when it came to perfection, you know, and dancing on cardboard boxes, and for hours, 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 we would perfect these routines. And, uh, and then, of course, when I started to become, you know, more into football, you know, I started lifting weights a little more. So then I came, I started to get a little more bigger and things like that. So, you know, the dance moves even became that much harder. And you would actually, you would come down when you were at the University of Miami to, to participate perform. in this dance group, right? To perform, right. absolutely. Right. Because see, we, we, we had, once we had, we had a certain crew that, like, we get together in a room and you give us two hours and we got probably one of the most creative dance routines you've ever seen in your life. And for the next three days, we'll just bang it out to where we got it down. I, I just never stopped really until he got to, to where he got so big at FAMU. You, you have to release at least photos. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. I, I, let me tell you something, Graham, I want to, but I can't. 
releasing that footage, like, I'm telling you, because it, it, it's, it's so much that only we can know, like, what we was building then and where we was coming from. I like to dance. I like to dance, and dance is a great expression of just having fun. Rod Woodson thinks you're a prime candidate for Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> now, Rod Woodson should be a politician. He, is, <laughs> he has a lot of insight on a lot of different things. When you're on the field prior to a play and the quarterback's at the line of scrimmage, what are you looking for? What are you doing? Everything that I probably studied from that, that week. There's so much that goes through my head. Uh, before every play, you know, from the formation, from the stance of this, from the look of the quarterback, from the, the if it's a dummy point that he's doing, from if the receiver's on the hash, off the hash, if he's outside the numbers, on the numbers, if the running back is keeping his head straight, if the running back is at home offset, so much, so much on one play. And, and like I said, I'm willing to sacrifice all of my time sitting in front of the computer because when I step on the field, I want to let all of my players not think that much and react hour after hour after hour after hour. Just having the computer in front of me and saying, I'm not moving until I get it. And if I got to watch these games time and time and time again, I'm not moving until I get it. Up until the time I got to walk out that locker room, I'm studying my opponent. And they're like, man, you, you don't watch this a, a hundred times. Okay. It's one more thing I didn't see. You know, I'm in my hotel room and, 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 and the college football game's on and my computer's right here in the bed and my notes are right here and my defenses are right here. I'm, I'm human like everybody else. I make mistakes. I complicate and confuse things as well. But everything I got, grandma's sitting right there. And, I'm, and if I glance at the computer, if I glance at the TV to, get, to see a good college player, I'd be like, wow, wow, that's the same formation. So the college kids just ran the same formation. But they, <laughs> and then when you get on game day, it's like, Play the game. Wins or losses, they gonna come and go, and some of them are in your hands, and some of them are out of your hands. That's just the fact that the way the game goes. But man, your effort, you know. And then I live by a five P principle: proper preparation prevents poor performances. See, I didn't take a break. See, a lot of people might have took breaks to get here or had these perks. I've never had that. Mine, my formula has been simply work. I don't know nothing else outside of grandma. I'm telling you, work, no matter what it is, no matter if it's on the football field, no matter if it's building businesses, no matter if it's building relationships, no matter if it's, it's going through downfalls and finding your way back up, you got to work your way out of it. We spoke about uh, earlier the tragic passing of your, your roommate and close friend, Marlon Barnes, mm -hmm. less than four years after that. Uh, here you are on the reverse side of that, charged with the murders of yeah. two men. You are, at the time, a young, successful, very talented player for the Baltimore Ravens, yet you're now in jail. Yeah. During that time behind bars, what are you thinking about? <laughs> if, there's something in your life that, if, if there's something in your life that you know need changing, make sure you change before God changes it because if he changes, you might not like it. So I had a lot of time to myself while I was incarcerated. You know? Then I found out sometimes you may find yourself in the wrong place simply at the wrong time. And you got a better chance of getting yourself in trouble if you find yourself around the wrong crowd 
and in the wrong place at the wrong time. So maybe what I went through actually saved my life. How so? Because of how comfortable I was with just thinking I was just a normal Joe. And the harsh reality is I'm not. You know, because of the media outlets, and all these different things that exposes us in a whole nother light. You can't do the normal things that you want to do, even if you thought you can get away with it. Do you question yourself? Absolutely. But when you find time about yourself, I spent 15 days in jail, God said, can you hear me now? So when you go through things like that, you have to be very careful. And my only cry or plea is, the saddest thing in the world, in the world, is to be falsely accused. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. what, what do you recall from when your four-year-old uh, asked you about being in shackles? To have to explain to him what a lie is. To have to explain to him that. I wish daddy could explain it to you, but I can't because I don't even know what I'm going through right now. I'm a country boy trying to make it. Bottom line, trying to feed his family and his kids who found himself at the wrong place at the wrong time, son. Your best friend Kwame, who was with you that night, said you knew, the prosecution knew, you weren't involved, but they still put you in jail and on trial. Why do you think that was? They knew it from day one. Nothing to do with it. Nothing. When I sat there and looked at a man in the eyes and said, you will sit here and tell me you don't care about the truth? Tell the world that. The same way you got up and said, without a shadow of a doubt, we can prove that Ray Lewis stabbed and killed two people. Get up and tell the media that you just told me you don't care if I'm guilty or not. You're going to make sure I go to jail for life. That's what you told me. But me as a man, I'm not never supposed to expose that. Why would that be said to you? Exactly. <laughs> Man, let me tell you something. I learned a lot through that. Put your trust in no man. And definitely put your trust in no system. Because that ain't what's going to pull you out at the end of the day. It's how you deal with it. And man, I've saw so much death, even before that, that if anybody ever had a glimpse of what I've seen before that, they know I'm the last person that's about to create death or take life. I was built and born to give life. That's what my whole work ethic and everything is all about. The last question I have on this is, uh, since you weren't involved and you've made very clear that, uh, you know, you're all about creating life, why then settle with the families for an amount of money, given the misconception that could create among people mm -hmm. who aren't familiar with what happened in the case? In, in some sense, because of your name, you still can be found somewhat guilty in that. Well, none of that ever happens. Um, 
if they didn't misuse information the way they did. You know, and, and I watched it myself, so nobody has to convince me on anything. Sure. So, so that's what, and that's what, when, 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 when I sat down even to talk to them, and you know, you gotta be very careful going into that, but even when I sat down to talk to the family separately, I'm like, I'm the last one. <laughs> this right here, what I'm doing for y'all ain't no different than what I do in my heart every day. I don't get the hell with the amount. Because I, I help somebody every day of my life. That's been my structure. And you know what? In that situation, there's a child that won't have a father. Because of people wanting to play with people. You know, wanting to use things. So when, when, when it got to that part, I'm like, look, I, I can't, I'm not going to fight that. Two men gone. They gone. Do y'all have we ever have anybody slowed down to say stop playing and figure out what what that is really going on? Don't play with people. You know what I'm saying? Because you you then you got people hating people and you got the wrong people hating the wrong person. That y'all just felt like, oh man, don't don't do that. You know? And so when 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 I got to that table, it was more of a release for me to even look into the family's eyes, man. And say, take it for what it's worth. I was born to help. I'm the last person to hurt your child. Just know that from my heart. Deal with it how you're going to deal with it from now. Hate me, can never speak to me a day, after, a day from this. But every one of them, but both families will tell you. I looked at them eye to eye, man to man, and told, and woman, and, and told them straight up no, no. Violence? Hell no. Saw too much of it. Would I change anything? Absolutely not. Couldn't. Because now I, I got a glimpse of why I had to go through that. Tell me about that moment uh, after winning the Super Bowl, holding the number one up with the newspaper in the other hand, Baltimore Ravens. Super Bowl champions. I wish I was telling you somebody else's story. Maybe I can make some of it up if I was. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not. To try to recreate that feeling would be almost impossible. To ever be accused of something from one January and the next January, your whole life, everything you always worked for came true. 20 minutes from your hometown, when the greatest worldly persecution you've ever been through in your life as a man, all of the judgments that people don't have a clue who you are, don't know what happened in the case, all of these things are being spoke about you. And then you get all of these men to buy into you. All of these men to accept you back in when you walk into the Ravens facility. Looking back at that 2000 team, in particular the defense, mm -hmm. What most impresses you about it? <laughs> the unselfishness of every man. It's, the, it's just the greatest formula to a, to a championship is chemistry. Like what we felt back then, like we, we still feel now. And just that alone, just that alone, you know, those relationships and those bonds, wow, it's special.
the 2000 playoff game between Titans and the Ravens when you ripped that ball from Eddie George's hands. What do you recall from that? In Tennessee Stadium, you can hear a rat piss on cotton. <laughs> it was just so quiet. You know how you're, you're in this greatest battle ever. And you know you got two gladiators going at it in this one play. And you hear how loud the crowd is. And as soon as that ball hit my hands, I promise you, it's like I was running down the field with complete silence in a stadium filled with thousands of people. What do you make of the NFL's enforcing the existing rules regarding hits? This game was built by a certain means, and that's by any means necessary. And that'll never change. You know? So no matter how you, know, you keep trying to change it, it's the game. Hidden and tackling. That's the game. You wear past shoulder pads. You wear a helmet. That's your protection. And from that standpoint, if you dig into it any deeper, you lose. That's what I believe. We praise the great warriors of the past because they did it by any means necessary. They did it with broken limbs. They did it with, I know they had many concussions back then. They did it with all of that. They did it with all of that. And we praise them. And now in today's time, you take those same gladiators, bigger, faster, and stronger, with different mentalities, and you say, I got to put a rule on you doing your job. Now that's what's hard for me to sit back sometimes and listen to time and time again. If I come into a meeting and I get a great hit on a player, my coach praises me because that's my job. That's what, Coach, that's what I, I play the position where if somebody catches the ball, I'm supposed to try with all my power to knock the ball away from him. That's my job. That's my duty. And then I get a letter in the mail that says you're fined for hitting somebody. Wow. Mm. If, if, I've saw, if I've seen contradiction, that's a great contradiction. So I guess the question is, how do you reconcile your feelings with the NFL's desire to prevent further head injuries? You want the truth? Sure. Keep hitting people. <laughs> you can't, you can't, you can't put all that on your shoulders because it's too much. It's too much. It's so much more than you can ever imagine on going into a game thinking about that. Or, or, or trying to even, you know, rationalize that this is the way I should think. You can't, you know. And, and, and even some of my hits, you know, that, you know, that one of the hits on there, they show, for, as far as me being an example, it's the perfect tackle. That was just a perfect opportunity to hit him just like that. But if an opportunity came the way I saw some of these other players hit, I would have taken that same opportunity. So it still goes back to the same thing. You know, you, you're only making me wrong for doing my job. What's your diet like? It's not a fun diet. 
<laughs> Let me say that. It's just not, you know, it's, it's just, it's just very, it's so to the point, you know, nothing is uh, glamorous, exciting. Uh, fish and vegetables for me is, you know, probably six out of seven days out of the week. You know, I have one cheat day a week. What's the cheat day entail? Anything. But I don't, I don't go that far. You know, I just, you know, might eat, um, you know, like on Fridays, I, you know, I might eat like a slice of thin cheese pizza, you know, something like that. But that's kind of all I do. I don't eat sweets, you know. Um, I eat sweets actually two times a year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Really? Yeah, that's my times I can cheat on sweets. That's when I get a lot of sweet potato pies. I get banana puddings. I get red pepper cakes. And that's during the season too. That's Thanksgiving and Christmas. As you know, you you work to a certain point, and that's my time. I can sit down at dinner and I can have all these things, you know. But that's, but that's you got to sacrifice all the way up until that point. You know, you got to. There's no cheating. There's no breaks, and that's kind of what I try to instill into young kids now. You know, that you can't take a break. You know, with your diet, you just can't. If you take care of your body, which is your engine, your body takes care of you. As nasty as strained wheatgrass and asparagus and broccoli and all that stuff sounds. Just the wheatgrass. If you, if, if you can get through the drink, it's like, oof, it's great, awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, man. Really man. a pleasure. I appreciate, I appreciate you. you making the time to go through all Absolutely. of this with me. That was Thank great. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger. And visit GrahamBensinger.com for TV times in your area. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Graham Bensinger for hours of extra content. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.